Now, people are always asking me questions. And I, I don't have any problem with that. I would expect that people would ask their pastor questions. I, get, I just have to tell you, I'm not the repository of all biblical knowledge. Uh, so sometimes I have to say, that's a good one. <laughs> I'll have to get back to you on that. Uh, just last week, my first week back, a young man uh, pulled me aside before the first service. Can I ask you a question? I thought, oh, okay, I wonder what he's got. And he's been here a little, almost a year now, and I wonder what he has. And he says, I got a question. So we go outside, and he says, and the question was about gardening. <laughs> <laughs> Raising herbs and stuff like that. I says, I don't know anything about herbs. I just do lettuce and tomato and broccolis. Uh, so I had to say, I can't help you. I sent him to someone who might be able to help him. Uh, I was at the um, the banquet for Gateways to Better Education last Saturday night. They had a neat, neat, what a great organization, Gateways. Man, that, in the public schools, they're doing a great job. And there was a couple from uh, northern San Diego County, and he was getting ready to go to Master's College uh, with John MacArthur up in the valley there. and But he's serving in uh, Calvary Chapel, affiliate in North Orange County, North San Diego County. And so we began to talk about John's perspective on certain things, his theology, as opposed to Calvary Chapel. And I said, well, you need to talk to your pastor and see if the degree you get at Masters is going to work with his philosophy of ministry. And then we got into all the ins and outs of TULIP and Calvinism and all kinds of questions immediately began to come out. And I don't, I don't have any problems with that at all. I love answering questions, and I especially like questions that are honest questions. Now, why do I say that? Well, in our text here, Jesus is in his last week of ministry prior to his death and resurrection. And some of the scribes and the Pharisees and the leaders of Israel and the Sadducees begin to ask him questions. They got questions for Jesus about who he is and what he's doing and what he believes. But as we'll read in the text, they're not honest questions. There's an agenda that they have for Jesus. Now, the application for us is that from time to time, we have, quote-unquote, religious people ask us questions, come at us with issues. And what I hope to do this morning in our time is to see how Jesus responded to these quote-unquote religious people and how he had some insight to kind of get past their question and look at really what the real issue in their heart was and how he responded to them. And then perhaps we can glean some insights from how Jesus handled these people uh, and apply them to our situation when... We're approached with people who are, quote-unquote, religious, but yet really don't have a living relationship with Christ. So um, let's first pray, and then it's a long chapter, so we're going to take it in little bite-sized sections. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the words of Jesus. We see how he uh, answered questions and how he got to the point of showing uh, where they needed the Lord. And so... We want to pray for the word that that would help us this morning. Um, And we'll give you the praise as you open 
these verses to us in Jesus' name. Let's first read verses 1 through 18, where Jesus deals with his first question thrown at him. On one of the days while he was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests, scribes, and elders confronted him, and they spoke to him, telling us by, tell us by what authority you are doing these things, or who was the one who gave you this authority? Jesus answered and said to them, I will also go ask you a question. You tell me. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? They reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, Nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to tell people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented out the vine growers, and went on a journey for a long time. The harvest time he sent a slave to the vine growers so that they would give him some of the produce of the vineyard. But the vine growers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he proceeded to send another slave, and they beat him and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he proceeded to send a third And this one they also wounded and cast out. The owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the vine growers saw him, they reasoned with one another, saying, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that our inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy these vine growers and and give the vineyard to others. When they heard it, they said, May it never be. But Jesus looked at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but on him, whoever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. Their first question concerning authority reveals their fear of men rather than the fear of God. Their first question reveals that their real issue is they're fearing man and what man thinks of them rather than fearing and putting their trust in God. Let's take a look. The essence of the question. Let's look at the essence of the question. First, in verses 1 and 2, he was teaching in the temple and they come to him and they say, where did you get this authority? Who's given you the authority to do Now, here's the phrase, these things. These things, what what things? Well, if you look at immediately preceding that, he he was in the temple preaching the gospel. Okay? And immediately preceding that, which we had looked at last week, was when he came into the temple, what did he do? He cast out the money changers and those who were selling... um, sheep and goats and pigeons and whatever else they were selling for sacrifices. They had a problem with his authority in doing this because what he was doing was putting them down in front of the eyes of men because they had given the sellers of goats and sheep and pigeons and money changers, they had given them permission to set up the stalls in the courtyard of the Gentiles. And... Most commentators feel they were getting a take of some of the money and the profits they were making. So this, is a, this, was a, 
This was a put down on them. Then he's in the temple preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel. And they're saying, oh, wait a minute. Everything that we've done here in the temple, it provides a way for a man or a woman to come to know the Lord. Why are you preaching the gospel? The essence of their question has to do with what Jesus, by his actions and words, was saying about them. Notice his response. And this draws out kind of even more so where they're at. Look at verses 3 through 18. So he says, well, wait a minute. His response, Jesus' response is first, uh, he asked them a question, and then he tells a parable. Look at the question. He says, well, you asked me a question? Let me tell you, ask you a question. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Hmm. What is Jesus saying there? He's saying, was John's ministry from God? Or was it something that he just kind of made up on himself? He was just kind of doing his own thing. The question was, was John's ministry valid? Now, Jesus asked this question simply because he knows that the leaders of Israel did not really receive John's ministry real positively. They were somewhat negative of John. Um, As a matter of fact, it says in one of the other Gospels that John pointed a finger at him when they saw them coming from Jerusalem out into the wilderness. He said, Who warned you, you brood of vipers? (laughs) That's not a very positive response to them coming. So... Jesus asked their question. Now, note their reasoning in verses 5 through 7. They say, well, wait a minute. If we say he was from heaven, in other words, they validated John's ministry, then Jesus could say, well, why didn't you pay any attention to him? Or, if we say he's not from God, but he was from men, then everybody's going to get mad at us and there could be some retribution from the folks. So what did they answer? They said, well, uh, we, we don't know. We don't know. They just feigned ignorance. And so Jesus comes back in verse 8 and he says, Oh, okay. You don't want to answer my question? I'm not going to answer your question. Did you notice what the focus was? Not what God thought of them, but what people thought. If Jesus responded to them saying it was a good ministry, then they would be embarrassed because Jesus would point out, Well, why didn't you listen to him? And vice versa. If they said, no, he's not of God, then the people would be angry. See, their focus was on people and what people thought of them rather than what God thought of them. They feared man rather than feared and trusting God. Then, Jesus' second response is found in verses 9 through 18 where he tells a parable. Mm. And we're very familiar with the parable. A man plants a vineyard, hires some folks to to watch over it, and then goes away on a long trip. And then later on, when there should be some produce, he sends some people, some slaves, three slaves, one after another. And each one are treated not very nicely, kicked out of the vineyard, no produce given. So he says, well, what can I do? He says, I'll send my son. They'll respect him. So he sends his son... But the vineyard workers, what do they do? They think, well, kill him. We kill him, maybe we can become the heirs. And so they do that. 
Jesus goes on and he says, well, what do you think the owner of the vineyard is going to do when he comes? Well, he's going to come and he's going to destroy those vine vineyard workers and he'll give the vineyard to someone else. No! Not possible. No way. May it never be. Then in verses 17 and 18, he makes a scriptural application. He quotes from Psalm 118. He says, Have you never heard? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but whomever it falls, it will shatter him like dust. Now notice in verse 19, it says, The scribes and the chief priests tried to lay hands on him that very hour, and they feared, there it is, they feared the people, for they understood that he, what? Spoke this parable against them. Well, wait a minute. How's that parable against them? Well, you got to know. Most people understood that Israel was pictured in the Bible as a vineyard. And the parable is, the meaning of the parable is that on a regular time, God the Father would send prophets, messengers to the vineyard and they would reject them. So Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the prophets, minor prophets come over and over again and they wouldn't listen to them. So God said, I'll send my son and what were they going to do to him? They wouldn't listen to him either. They would kill him. And then as a result, God would take the vineyard away from his people and give it to other people's Gentiles, the kingdom of God would be transferred to Gentiles. And they knew what he was saying was against them because they were the leaders. They were the ones who rejected the prophets. They rejected John the Baptist and they were going to reject the Son of God. And it says in verse 19 that they did this because they were more concerned about what people thought than what God thought. They didn't want to listen to God and his messengers. They were more concerned about how people perceived them. So we see Jesus' response. Now the insight gained. Here's the insight gained. Jesus perceiving where they were coming from, they weren't trusting God but they were more concerned about the fear of men. Now in Proverbs it says, it says the fear of man is a snare, is a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord, he will be exalted. Now in one of the other gospels, Jesus says to them, same guys, he says, you have kept the commandments of man, but neglected, excuse me, the traditions of man, but you have neglected what? What God told you, his commandments. So, insight. The insight is he tells them the consequences of them doing that. The consequences of doing them. When the, when the owner comes, he will destroy those who haven't listened to him, those who haven't received his servants and haven't received his son. And they said, may it never be. The insight gained is that we need to tell people who are trusting in themselves and trusting in man rather than God, we need to tell them what? The consequences of doing that. 
Now, in today's church, it seems to be kind of a habit that a lot of people don't want to talk about that four-letter word. Hell. Don't want to talk about hell. Well, it gets people upset. But I think we ought to talk about hell. <laughs> we ought to talk about You know why we should talk about hell? I'll tell you one reason. Number one reason, because Jesus talked about hell. He talked about hell and judgment on a pretty regular basis. He said to Nicodemus, a religious person, unless you're born again, you shall not enter or see the kingdom of God. What was he telling Nicodemus? If you're not born at the end, you are going to hell. That's what he said. We need to tell people the consequences of them trusting in themselves and looking to man and not listening to God. We need to tell them the consequences of that. Now, we need to speak the truth in love, but they need to know this. The second reason we need to tell them, aside from Jesus telling them, he did that all the time, and we need to be followers of Jesus, we need to show people the irrational attitude or thinking that is, that if you spend all your life worrying about what people think about you rather than what God thinks about you, do you think at the end of your life that somehow magically you're going to be ushered into the kingdom of God when you have spent your whole life rejecting his messengers as they come to you over and over and over again? Do you think somehow that everything's going to work out fine? We need to tell people that. They need to know that. Now, what our problem is, talking about hell to people, is we watched what happened to Jesus. Remember I said Jesus talked to tell people they were going to go hell, they were going to receive the judgment of God. And what did they do to Jesus? <laughs> they crucified him. We're thinking, wait a minute, that's not... Uh, that's not the best policy if you want to be popular at the company or the neighborhood or at school is telling people they're going to hell unless they're born again. That's not very popular and, and that is the problem. But that goes right back to the issue of G- what Jesus was saying. Do you care what people say about you? Or are you more interested in what God says about you? Mm. That's hitting closer to home than many of us want to. And the reason I know that, because just like you, I struggle with that whole issue. Jesus sees right through the question and shows that they fear man rather than trusting and fearing God. Second question, verses 19 through 26. Let's read it. The scribes and the chief priests tried to lay hands on him that very hour, and they feared the people. We talked about that. For they understood that he spoke this parable against them. So what did they do? So they watched him, sent spies who pretended to be righteous in order they might catch him in some statement so they could deliver him to the rule and authority of the governor. They questioned him saying, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach correctly. You're not partial to any, but you teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or to not. But he detected their trickery. And he said to them, said to them, show me a Daenerys, whose likeness and inscription does it have? And they said, Caesar's. And he said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, 
and to God the things that are God's. And they were unable to catch it in any saying in the presence of the people and began to be amazed at his answer and they became silent. The second question, the question concerning taxes, reveals their ultimate intentions. Their ultimate intentions. Look at the essence of the question, verses 19 through 22. They knew he spoke against them when he spoke that parable. But in their heart, they wanted to lay hands on him. They wanted to catch him. They wanted to arrest him. So what did they do? Verse 20. They sent people to pretend that they were righteous spies, trying to catch him in some statement so they could deliver him over to the governor and get rid of him. That was their intention. They weren't interested in his answer on that question. They could care less. And look, they butter him up. Verse 21. Teacher, we know that you speak. You know, they're just buttering him up, setting him up for that question that they want to ask. And they say, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or to not? Now, this question is interesting because it's kind of like the question Have you ever heard this question? Have you ever stopped beating your wife? I mean, no matter what you say, (laughs) you're you're doomed. In the same way, if he says, um, well, yeah, don't pay taxes to Caesar. Aha, you got him. Arrest him and charge him with insurrection. Or if he says, yes, go ahead and pay taxes, then the Jews, the zealots, who are many of us are followers are against Rome and their oppressive rule would say, ah, Jesus is siding with the Romans. So no matter what he says, they are thinking, we got him. He's got to answer and we got him. We'll get rid of this guy. But notice Jesus' response. He says, well, okay, show me the coin. Show him the coin. Caesar. Caesar. So he says, Verse 25, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and the things that are God to God. He completely deflects the question because he goes by the political issue and focuses back on what? On the Lord. Now, and it says, because of his answer, uh, (laughs) their mouths were shut. (laughs) He shut them up because of the insight of his answer. Now, what insight can we get from that? Now, all of us have a right to our political opinions, don't we? I mean, don't we? I mean, we have a right. That's what this country is about, amen? That's what it's about. We have a right to our political opinions. We have a right, and you know how my feelings on us being good citizens. What does it mean to be a good citizen? The Bible says that we should, we should be those kind of people. We should be light on a hill. So we stand for righteousness. We stand for what is good and true in this country. That's part of who we are. However, in Philippians chapter 3, you know what it says about us? We are citizens of heaven. First, we belong to the kingdom of God party, not 
the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. Now, you know my feeling on on, on this issue. But I would never want my allegiance to a political party or an understanding of politics to somehow drive someone away who is in the kingdom of darkness and I have an opportunity to move them from that kingdom to who? The kingdom of our dear son. And so we need to be very careful because number one priority, number one, and now I'm not talking about standing up for righteousness. Of course we stand up for righteousness. But number one priority, always number one priority, is helping the people to understand, not to become Republicans or not to become Democrats, but to become citizens of heaven. That's number one. And that's what, just what Jesus shows us. He just pushes aside that little political trick and he moves right down and he points them to God. We need to render to God what is God's. So their question concerning taxes reveals their ultimate intentions, which was to try and to trick him, to get him arrested, to get him to talk about politics, and he wasn't really interested in politics. He's interested in righteousness, peace, and joy. Matter of fact, Paul says, uh, you know, I'll put aside anything to keep from stumbling somebody from the king. And he was talking about eating food or drinking wine or, you know, whatever that, all those other issues. He said, those things are secondary to my number one purpose. What? Helping to move them into the kingdom. And that's Jesus. That's what he was doing. Third question. Verse 27. Now, what happens here is... uh, the people who are uh, uh, kind of fundamentalists of that day, that would be the scribes, the Pharisees, uh, those folks were fundamental. They believed in the supernatural. So they kind of struck out. So the Sadducees are going to take a shot at Jesus. And the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe in the resurrection, and they were sad, you see. <laughs> That's it. That's why they were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. But they didn't believe in supernatural. They were just moralists, okay? So the Sadducees said, okay, those, those fundies struck out on Jesus. Hey, we're going to get Jesus now. So the Sadducees move into him. Let's read what happens. Now there came to him some of the Sadducees who say there's no resurrection. They didn't believe in the supernatural. And they questioned him, saying, Teacher, and once again, see, they always buttering him up. Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife, he should be childless. His brother should marry the wife and raised the children up to his brother. Now there were seven brothers and they first took a wife and died childless. And the second and the third married her in the same way. All seven died leaving no children. Finally the woman died also. In the resurrection therefore which one's wife will she be? For all seven have married her. Jesus said to them the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to the age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. But they cannot even die anymore because they are like angels. And they are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. But the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the burning bush where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
Now he is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. For all live to him. Some of the scribes answered and said, Teacher, you have spoken well. For they did not have the courage to question him any longer about anything. Then he said to them, How is it that they say that Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore David calls him Lord. How is he also his son? Third question concerning marriage in heaven reveals their lack of biblical knowledge. Their lack of biblical knowledge. Now, they come along and they ask him this question. Now this question is like, have you ever been asked this one? Uh, Can God create a, a rock bigger than he can lift? Well, that's a silly question. That's a silly question. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 25, there was a law that if a man's brother died and he had been married and yet he hadn't had a son to carry on his name, that that brother should marry his dead wife's, his brother's dead, no, his wife's brother, dead brother's wife, marry her and produce a child so that the name won't be lost. Okay, that's, that's the law. But they were not really interested in getting an answer to their silly question. The seven brothers, they all died, you know, that whole thing. They were interested in coming against Jesus and making fun of him and criticizing him and ridiculing for his answer and the whole theory of the resurrection. See, that was, that was what was behind their, their question. The question was, they wanted to ridicule him. They wanted to put him down when he came to his question on this whole issue of marriage and resurrection. Now, have you oftentimes seen this? People will often ask you, especially people who um, maybe don't know too much about the Bible, they'll ask you what I call smokescreen questions. You know, it's kind of like, and the question is thrown up to kind of to hide kind of where they're coming from. Uh, this kind of falls into that category. Now, notice the essence of their question. The essence of their question is they're trying to ridicule him. Now, let's take a look at Jesus' response. Jesus has three responses in verses 34 through 44. The first response is found in verses 34 through 36 when Jesus talks about the reality of the resurrected life. Notice what he says. In this age, verse 34, people are married or given in marriage. But when we, when we get to the resurrection, there's no more of that. There's no marriage. None of the stuff that goes on in marriage takes place in heaven. Okay, the marriage relationship, that, that's, no, that's no longer. Do I have to go into detail to talk about what he's talking about? None of the stuff that's in marriage takes place in heaven. So he goes along with that. Rather, he says, we are like angels. Now, he didn't say, some people say, well, there, we become angels. We don't become angels. We're like angels. We're like angels. And angels don't do the stuff that married people do is point that Jesus is saying. <laughs> okay? That's what he's saying. We're, we're, we're like angels. 
We don't have the ability to have a married relationship. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, wait a minute. I, I remember all the way back in Genesis, remember that? It said during the times of Noah that some people believe that the giants that were there were caused by angels coming down and procreating uh, children from the women of that age, and they produced angels. Well, Jesus seems to have a different opinion of that particular scripture that that doesn't teach that. So you might want to consider if you think that angels came down and had relationships with women to produce giants. I don't think that's true, and I think here's my scripture that I stand on. But that's a little rabbit trail that I just wanted to take you on for just a minute. So he kind of says, he explains... He explains what the Bible is teaching on that. Then he goes on, and in verses 37 through 40, he talks about the reality of the resurrection. The reality of the resurrection. He says, wait a minute. God is not a God of the dead, but he's a God of the living. And he uses the quote from Moses' experience at the burning bush, where God says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, He's not the God of the dead, but the God of the living, for all live to him. Now, some of the scribes say, hey, you put those guys down right, Jesus. And they didn't have any questions any longer. So he answers the question about marriage. He answers the question that they had really about the resurrection because they didn't believe in it. And then in verses 41 through 44, he poses another question. And the question is, Well, how is David calling him Lord if he's his son? How's that work? One of the other Gospels tells tells us after he asked that question, no more questions. It was done because they didn't have an answer. Now, what's the answer to Jesus' question? Wait a minute. If David calls the Messiah son, how can he be Lord? Well, he's from the lineage of David and because of the incarnation, he's of God. So, the insight gained for us is Jesus explained what the Bible means and what it says. He explained what the Bible means and what it says. As a matter of fact, he even quoted Scripture. Now, oftentimes when you're talking to unbelievers or religious people, They'll say something to you and you say, well, where did, you, where did you get that? Well, I heard it on the radio. There's a station on KFI. They talk about alien abductions and transmigration of souls. They, they, were, had, they had a speaker on there. and they, I was, That sounds good. And you'll ask them, well, did you ever read the Bible? And you know what the, most people will say? No, I never read the Bible. <laughs> they, some people, they have various ideas. They, they read this book over here and they heard this speaker over here and they have a friend who had a, a course in, uh, in philosophy from USC, from some other place, or UCLA, I don't want to be partisan here, or <laughs> anything, anything else. And they have these various ideas, and they put it together. And when you talk to them, you ask them, well, have you ever read the New Testament? No. Did you ever read the Bible? No. So what you need to do is do what? You need to bring them to the Bible. You need to bring them to the Bible. You quote the Bible. Here, you might even want to say, here, read it. What does this passage say? Here, go ahead and read it for yourself. Show them. Tell them. 
what the Bible means? Show them the Bible text, the biblical text. That's what you need to do. That's what Jesus did. That's how he handled the crazy Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection. He brought them back to the Bible. Now, how does that apply to us? Well, in order for you to do what Jesus does or did, you need to know the Bible. <laughs> you need, and you need to do the hard work of knowing the Bible. Okay, now, now here's where we get accountability. Remember this little sheet? Gave it to you in the last week in December. Remember this sheet? Oh, I, hope, I was hoping you wouldn't bring that up, Pastor Neil. Remember, this is our plan for the year that we were going to try and read through the Bible this year. Do you remember? Maybe some of you even have it in your Bible. You want to hold it up? There we go. I got the, there we go. Come on. Stand. Reading the Bible. How you doing? Well, I'm running a little late in September. I'm still in September, and today is the 2nd of October, if I remember right. So, but I'm going to catch up. So I've got my last page to do. October, November, December. You're saying, well, Neil, you're being legalistic. No, I'm not. It's called knowing the Bible. How are you going to take somebody to a place and there's got some crazy idea that they're trying to foist on you? How are you going to help them get rid of that crazy idea if you don't know where to go in the Bible? How are you going to do that? Well, I know... I think it says in the Bible, no, 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 you don't want to do that. You open the page and say, well, you know, here's what the Bible says about the resurrection right here. 1 Corinthians 15. Here, well, let's read about the resurrection. There's, here's the teaching on the, on the resurrection. Now, we have Bible studies um, Monday night here, Tuesday night here, Wednesday morning, Wednesday night, Thursday morning, Thursday night. We got Bible studies coming out of our ears here at Calvary Chapel. Why do we do it? Why do we have so many Bible studies? So that you can begin to learn the Bible. You need to learn the Bible. In the, in the bulletin, I won't even go over. I went over the door. Why aren't you coming to the midweek studies? Well, you know, Pastor Neil, I, I just want to gel out. Oh, I understand that. I want to gel out. You know what? I'm sorry. If you're home watching TV when there's Bible studies going on here Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Wednesday morning, all those times. Come on. You know what? Was it on one of the stations? I think it's Fox. They say they have it part of the, the football. Come on, man. That's what I say to you. Come on, man. If that's what you're doing, get off your duff and get your nose in the Bible. I don't have anything against watching uh, television or, you know, watching a good movie. I enjoy a good movie all the time. But I try to make... And you're saying, well, that's only because you're a pastor. No, 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 no. I just have the same problems you do. I need to know this book from Genesis to Revelation. And Jesus knew the book. And he used it to help people find their way. Are you doing that? That's the application for us. Because there's all kinds of silly ideas out there. Use the Bible to confront them. Okay. Then in verses 45 through 47, we have Jesus' concluding thoughts. Got the questions? Now look what he says. 
And while all the people were listening, he said to the disciples, Beware of the scribes who love to walk around in long robes, love respectful greetings, in the marketplaces, chief seats, in the synagogues, the places in the honor of the banquets, who devour widows' houses and for appearance sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Notice his concluding thoughts about these people. First, religious people who don't know the Lord, concerned about how they're perceived. He, they love the walk around with long robes and respectful greetings and the wonderful play advocate, the chiefs. See, see, they're all concerned about men and what men think of them rather than what God and God thinks about them. Then he says, and oftentimes their talk doesn't match their walk. They devour widows' houses and for appearance sake offer long prayers. In other words, they appear religious, but oftentimes even when they do something, it's done for the wrong motive. It's done for works-oriented. And then finally he, he says, beware of them. Beware of them. Don't come under their influence. You know why we should beware of them? Because religious people, religious people who don't know the Lord are the most lost people you'll ever run into. You know why? Because they think they're okay. I'm okay. I go to church. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. And they're going to hell. And they don't know it. Now, our pagan friends are out there partying and drinking on a regular basis. They're convicted. They know they're lost. They won't admit it to you, but they know what they're doing is wrong. But the religious people who don't know Jesus, they think they're okay. I'm doing okay. I'm in church every Sunday morning. I put in my 45 minutes. But they're lost. Jesus says, beware of them. Don't come under influence of those kind of people. Now, when he says beware of them, he's not saying don't try and help them, but he's saying don't you become a religious person. Now, so what do we see here? We see some questions. We see that oftentimes these folks, they're more, more concerned about men than God. We see sometimes when they ask us, when they come to us, that there's another agenda. And we see oftentimes they don't know what the Bible says. Now, I have to confess that I have sometimes not been very effective when the two groups that come to our doors uh, come knocking on our doors. Uh, a couple of months ago, earlier this year, we are having big family time. All the kids are running around inside. And, and it was late. It was like 8.30, 9 o'clock. There's a knock on the door. And there's the two guys with the white shirts and the ties. And I opened the door and I looked at him. I said, come on, man, it's 8.30, 9 o'clock. What are you guys doing out here? And they just shut the door. <laughs> I felt bad later. <laughs> and the other folks that come around, the last time they were at my house, I think they put an X on their map for my house. <laughs> I opened the door and I saw the magazine they were trying to give me. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And they said, well, what's the matter? 
I said, I'm so sorry. You think you're going to heaven, but you're outside the kingdom of God. I'm so sorry. Maybe I need to go to the EE class and learn some evangelism explosion. I need to go there and learn some... And you know, sometimes I just, I don't have any patience with them. I just don't have any patience. But Jesus gives us some insight. Jesus helps us understand. We need to tell them the truth. We need to tell them, hey, your works aren't getting you to heaven. You're going to suffer the consequences. We need to to share the truth and avoid the political arguments. Uh, No one's going to get saved by converting them to the Republican or Democratic Party. They're going to get saved by being converted to the Jesus Party. That's what we need to talk about. You have a right to your opinions, but watch out for that political side. You'll offend many people and keep them from the kingdom. And then finally, we need to bring them to the Bible. In the Bible. That's where they'll get saved. So some thoughts on dealing with our religious friends. Let's pray. Father, we draw near to you this morning in your word because we know your word is a lamp and a light to our souls. How Jesus handled these very difficult people give us some help in how to help our religious friends move from their religion to a relationship with you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.